Good morning. It is June the 10th. We're reading through the Bible in a year. We're in 2 Chronicles chapters 32 and 33 as we near the end of this book. We see Hezekiah here coming under attack in Judah by the king of Assyria. And Sennacherib is coming against the nation and he cries out to God. Uh, Hezekiah, that is, and God saves him. And that uh, is a pattern we've seen when people are willing to trust in God. In their positions of leadership, God is gracious to them and to the nation in this case. And uh, then Hezekiah gets sick, which is a crisis not only for Hezekiah, but for the nation because he has no son at this point. So he prays to the Lord and he is delivered, which is great. But as you read in your reading in chapter 32, you'll see a very interesting phrase that he did not... um, He did not make a return to God for this. He didn't give thanks or perhaps he had vowed and hadn't uh, paid that vow in response to that prayer. And uh, the Bible blames that on his pride. He's not grateful and he is not responsive to God and his deliverance because of his pride. And pride has a lot of tentacles and a lot of ill effects. And that's one of them is that we are not thankful as we ought to be. Uh, Brief reference to the envoys from Babylon. You remember that story where he gives the tour which ends up backfiring, not in his generation, but eventually in uh, the south as the uh, later king Nebuchadnezzar comes in and wipes out uh, the temple and knows there's a lot of treasure there. Uh, Chapters 33, we then go from Hezekiah, who was a good king, to Manasseh, a bad king. Manasseh's kingship, uh, very bad, and yet we see again God's grace to a king who cries out to God in the midst of his, his pain, his struggle, and the things he's going through. But the problem is there was just so much time in his life, sowing the seeds of sin and transgression in his life that those effects just uh, continued on. So he reached out to God, but uh, a little later than we should. Matter of fact, when we find ourselves in trouble, we find ourselves in sin, we feel that conviction, we ought to respond right away. That's 2 Chronicles chapter 33. Our New Testament reading is in John chapter 18, verses 24 through 40, the second half of this chapter. This is Jesus before Pilate. And Pilate here, if you read this without knowing much about the history of Pilate, uh, you might think that he's just a cowardly guy. And though he is acquiescing here and he's trying to appease the people, uh, Philo and Josephus remind us historically what a terrible, cruel, and um, unyielding kind of person that that Pilate was. Uh, He always had an angle. He was always uh, working some kind of situation to his own advantage. And uh, we see him... Uh, throughout history, in the depictions of history, we have him being corrupt and very cruel. Uh, Pilate, though, in this case is conflicted, partly because of Matthew chapter 27, which reminds us that God sent warning, you might remember, through his wife. And that, um, I mean, God was trying even to be gracious here to Pilate in this situation, and yet he does not respond as he ought to, as you know. Um, Our New Testament imperative is uh, a community imperative. We call it a community command for us. I'm going to jump all the way ahead to 2 Thessalonians chapter 3, verse number 3. Um, let me read that for you. Actually, verses, verse 1 and 2, rather. 2 Thessalonians chapter 3, verses 1 and 2. Uh, Paul says, as he wraps up this second letter, Finally, brothers, pray for us that the word of the Lord may speed ahead and be honored as has happened among you. We had a good reception there, he says. We want that to happen elsewhere. And that we may be delivered from wicked and evil men for not all have faith. They're not all Christians out there, which is an obvious statement. But the point is they've got a lot of adversaries coming after Paul and his band of missionaries. So he says, pray for us. And the community imperative that I want to give you today is a very simple one, but one that I think we often overlook. And that is that here is the Apostle Paul showing us that among the community of the believers, he is willing to ask for prayer. I put it this way, ask each other for prayer. 
Uh, I don't want you to go around asking for prayer. If you're not willing to pray for others, you need to be praying for others. But I would say there's times for you like the Apostle Paul, not only here but elsewhere in his writings, he is firm and bold and forthright about, please pray for me, pray for us. Uh, and I think that is a very important thing and you should be doing that today. You ought to be making that a practice. What is it that you need prayer for? Reach out and ask someone to pray for you. Send them a text, an email, let them know that you need prayer in these areas. If you're taking seriously your spiritual life and your progress, maybe even it's your Bible reading that we're doing every day and it hasn't been consistent, ask someone today to pray for you. Be specific, reach out to them, tell them what you want them to pray for. And the Bible says in 2 Corinthians chapter 1 that Paul wants us to be extending that prayer circle in our life about certain things so that when God answers, uh, more than just one person can rejoice. So. Maybe you're not praying the way you ought to for your own things, and maybe it is that just adding some other people to your prayer life and saying, pray for me about these things uh, would be a good accountability for just for you just to be consistent in your praying. So 2 Thessalonians chapter 3, verses 1 and 2, uh, ask each other for prayer. That's a good and biblical godly thing. We'll be back tomorrow as we continue our reading, wrapping up 2 Chronicles, and we'll move on in the Gospel of John. We'll see you then. 